Well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. We are going through the Gospel of Luke, looking at the year of our Lord. And uh, we're all the way up here to week 31 now. And uh, if you've missed any of these uh, podcast episodes, which is basically what our sermons are on the weekend... Uh, I'd invite you to just uh, go back and browse through and see uh, what we have to say. Um, it's been a really good study, a really challenging study. Uh, Jesus is pulling no punches in many of these uh, instances, and uh, we are being definitely challenged in our faith to uh, grow as disciples. So as we begin today, I want to consider some things that um, I have heard as little funny stories of things heard around the dinner table. Uh, like when the mom asked the little girl to say the blessing, uh, they were having a big, big party. A lot of people were coming over and kind of put the little girl on the spot saying, hey, honey, I want you to say the blessing. And the little girl says, well, I don't know what to say. And the mom says, well, just say what you heard mommy say. And so they bowed their heads, closed their eyes. And the little girl said, dear God, why did I invite so many people to dinner? Or there was also a, a, a dinner party where there were uh, several couples, older couples, and one of the, the men there was talking uh, at his end of the table about this great restaurant that he and his wife had visited. Um, but he had forgotten the, the name, and uh, they were saying, "Well, you know, we, we'd love to, we'd love to visit this restaurant. What's, what's it called?" And he goes, "I don't, I don't remember." And then he goes, um, "Oh, what, what's the name of the flower?" with the thorns, um, you know, and it smells nice. It comes in bushes. And they said, Rose? And he goes, that's it. Hey, Rose, what's the name of the restaurant that we went to the other day? Uh, things overheard at the dinner table, at dinner parties. Today, I want to talk about a dinner party with Jesus. Because we're in Luke chapter 14, and in Luke 14, there is a dinner party that Jesus has been invited to. And many things are overheard. What a time for Jesus to once again drive home what it really means to believe in God, to be a disciple, and to follow his laws. So I want to set the scene. If you'll take your Bibles and go to Luke 14, just the first four verses kind of set the scene for us. One Sabbath, Luke tells us, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him and healed him and sent him away. Now, first of all, notice that we're in the house of a ruler of the Pharisee, or as some uh, translations say, a prominent Pharisee. This guy, as leader of the Pharisees, was a big mucky muck. We don't, we don't know which leader this was. Um, doesn't give us a name. But uh, he is a leader. He's a very important Pharisee. He's a prominent Pharisee. And so far, whenever Jesus has ever gone to a Pharisee's home, there's some kind of setup waiting for him. This one's no different. We're told that he is being carefully watched. For what? Well, Look who just happens to be invited to the dinner party as well. Just so happens that this dinner party, there's a guy with this physical ailment. And we're going to look later on at what that was and what that might have meant to Luke, who was a physician. But 
Wow, what a coincidence, right? A man who is in need of healing, and he's there at the same dinner party at the Pharisee's house that Jesus has been invited to, and it's on the Sabbath day. Quite the coincidence, right? Yeah, yeah, right. In fact, Luke actually tells us straight up that this was a test. Again, verse 1 says that, Jesus was being carefully watched. Why were they watching him? Because this is an obvious setup. So, Mr. Compassion, what are you going to do here? I know it's the Sabbath. You say that we should follow God's rules. Here's a guy who needs your help. Are you going to heal him? Are you going to break the Sabbath in order to be Mr. Compassion for this guy? But they don't say anything. It's never said out loud, but Jesus knew what was going on. He's not a dummy. And so he it says that he answers them there in verse three. He says he responded to them. They didn't say anything, but he knew what they were thinking. He knows what's up. So he calls them on it. And his answer or his response is, okay, you experts in God's law, tell me, is it okay for me to heal this man today? Still, nobody says a word. Silence. So, because nobody else will answer his question, Jesus answers the question by healing the man. And since he knows what their response will be, he follows up the healing with this statement found in verses 5 and 6. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now, two things. Uh, one, maybe you have uh, one of the translations where there's a footnote that uh, says instead of the word son there, if your son uh, falls into the well, that is actually the, the word donkey. Now, for me, you know, if you have any kids like me, you'll understand the confusion. Sometimes it's, it's the same thing, son, donkey, right? I kid, I tease. But secondly, also asking which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath. Well, that's kind of like asking a pastor if he works on Sunday or not, right? All this to say, what Jesus is asking is this. Listen, if you have something that's of value, a son or a piece of property that is in danger of being lost or badly hurt, wouldn't you break the Sabbath in order to help them? Of course you would. And Jesus said, that's all I've done. I see somebody of value who is in need, and I am obedient to the heart of God. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. I'm going to heal this man. But again, notice that there's silence. Nobody says a word. So that's the scene that we're setting. Kind of an awkward silence now, you know. The elephant's now in the room, and what are you going to do with it? Obviously, the people there at the table... They were opposed to what Jesus was doing. They were opposed to the way he was doing it. These men, these men were ironically the ones who were supposed to be the teachers of Israel, the ones who were supposed to be representing God. But they weren't. And Jesus, now on high alert, begins to show them why they are so opposed to God. And it has nothing to do with what he's doing. It has everything to do with where their hearts are. And now... The party's really going to get fun. Let's continue on. Verse 7. Now Jesus then tells a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. 
And he said to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor unless someone more distinguished than you be invited. And he who invited you, both of you, will come and say to you, hey, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Jesus is talking about here by grabbing the the best place to sit. You are in danger of having somebody more important than you show up and then have to face the embarrassment of being escorted to different seats, uh, uh, one of the lower, lower place seats. Jesus continues, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I said that this party was going to get fun. It starts out very awkward with the, with the calling out of the, the Pharisees about uh, their, their problem with him healing the guy on the Sabbath. But now he begins to call out the guests who are all clamoring to get into the best seats. What Jesus is now calling out is the pride of these guests. He's observing how all of them want the place of honor. Now, they have all been extended honor just by being asked to be a part of this party, right? They, they have been extended the honor of attending this dinner party at such a prominent Pharisee's home. But that wasn't enough for them. They didn't want just the honor of being invited. They wanted to scramble to find even more honor by finding the best seats. Folks, if there is something that God opposes throughout Scripture, it's pride. Thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. God's people, especially God's leaders, have been called to servanthood, to lead in humility, to live with a humble spirit. Jesus tells his disciples that they are to take the role of servants to everyone. He would even model what that looked like during the Last Supper. He said, if you want to be great, learn to be the servant. And he then wrapped the towel around him and washed their feet. He would tell them, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. He said, the Gentiles will lord it over their people, not so you. See, God has designed his leadership and his people living in the upside-down kingdom to be people of humility, of humble spirits who will put other people first and meet the needs of others before they would meet their own needs. That's God's design. And yet here are the religious leaders supposedly representing God, and they're vying for positions of honor and power. I told you that we would consider the kind of ailment that this man who was healed by Jesus had been suffering from. It was a condition named here by Luke, who, again, was a physician, and he would have known from the reported symptoms what the culprit uh, was in this man's life. It was named as dropsy. Now, this is the only time in Scripture that we read of dropsy. So what is this disease? Well, in Greek, the word dropsy is the word hydropkis. Hydropkis. Hydro meaning water. See, the, the eyewitness accounts that Luke had gathered as he was asking for the testimonies of Jesus' ministry later on as he was writing this gospel, it told him, it, it gave him enough understanding of this disease 
where the uh, parts of the body were grossly, grotesquely swollen. And it led Luke to believe that the diagnosis of this man was dropsy. So what is dropsy? In dropsy, it's a swelling of the body uh, because of an excess of water accumulating in the body. And so your leg would swell, your neck would swell, your arm would swell, your elbow would swell. Some part of your body would swell, and it was painful. This excess water was not healthy. It was not good. But there was an ironic twist to dropsy because not only would a part of your body or more than one part of your body would swell with excess water, but you would also be suffering from an unquenchable thirst. Yes, see, you would have too much water in your body, and yet you would crave more. Now, what I want you to see here is Luke understands this connection, and that's why he names this ailment. It's not just a a man who was sick, but a man with dropsy, because there is a connection between the man's dropsy and what these spiritual leaders were suffering from in a spiritual sense. Because here they were. They were already honored here at at, at the party. But for them, it wasn't enough to be honored at the party. They craved more. It was their pride that had become a spiritual dropsy for them. So Jesus shares with them the risk that they're taking by scrambling for the best seats. He says, listen, you're setting yourself up for humiliation. I remember a long time ago, back in the 70s or 80s, there was a, I guess it was in the 80s, there was an old TV commercial for uh, a beer uh, with the ex-baseball player Bob Euchre. It was a classic um, commercial. Uh, Bob Euchre had made his way uh, there at uh, a baseball game uh, to watch the baseball game, and he had been sitting in uh, on some nice seats, the box seats. And he and he was bragging about how all the people of the ballpark knew him by sight, and they were giving him preferential treatment and giving him uh, tickets to sit in the best row. And as he sits, somebody says, ah, come on, buddy, you're in the wrong seat. And as he stands up, Euchre proudly announces to all of those around him, ah, must be in the front row. Well, that's where he thought he was going, but uh, the next scene shows him actually in the nosebleed section of the stadium and nobody near him. That That's funny how this guy thought that he was going to be escorted to the best seats, but he was actually humiliated by being escorted to the worst seats. And that's what Jesus is saying. The risk is when you live your life seeking pride, one of these days there's going to be this humiliation, this humbling and it's not going to be good. Jesus says the only way to combat the, the, the dropsy of pride is to allow the Holy Spirit to develop in you a sense of humility. Let's continue on. Verse 12. He said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you then in return, and then you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous or the just. Now, I thought this was funny uh, I, as I was preparing for the sermon. I, I, I found an illustration where there was a preacher who was so good at preaching this particular passage 
uh, especially verse 13, where he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. He was so good at preaching that passage that that week after the sermon was done, he and his wife had five invitations to come to dinner. Now, some people don't get that. Some people do. It's like, okay, well, don't invite your friends. Invite the blind and the poor and the lame. Well, apparently that's what his congregation thought of him because they invited him out. Talk about finding humility, right? Humility in this instance is seen in the makeup of the guest list. Jesus is saying, you you want to put together a guest list? Well, it's one thing to invite to dinner or to do good to those who you have a lot of things in common with. Those who are already well off. Those who have the ability to turn around and do something nice back for you, right? But what Jesus is talking about here is being kind, being hospitable, showing goodness to people who cannot pay you back. Because it's not about credit. It's not about you getting a reward or a repayment. It's about building the kingdom, showing people how much value they have in God's eyes. Jesus is saying, listen, I see who you choose to be kind to. But what about next time you invite those that can't repay you? How about you invite those who are outcasts, who are sick, who are broken, who all they can do is accept your kindness, and that's all. Now, suppose for a moment you you had paid $4,000 to throw a banquet And some weird thing happens, and the banquet needs to be canceled. And and imagine then the caterer refuses to refund the the bulk of your money. So what do you do? Well, that's actually what happened to a lady named Kathleen Gooley back in the 90s. I'm going to read to you an excerpt from an article that ran in the Deseret newspaper. Here it goes. It says, Saturday was supposed to be Kathleen Gooley's wedding day. But when the groom backed out and she got stuck with the reception bill, the jilted bride decided to give her party to the 150 homeless people from southwestern Connecticut. We would have been doing this at this time anyway, the 41-year-old Gooley of Norwalk, Connecticut said Saturday as she watched her guests dance to the music of a disc jockey who had donated his time. I hope somebody else in the same situation would do the same thing. You see busloads of homeless men and children and women from Norwalk and nearby Stamford and Bridgeport arrived at the decorated Canongate Catering Hall just after noon. Some were clad just in jeans and t-shirts. Others had shirts and ties. Some had dresses. Many had not had a hot meal in weeks. You are blessing us with your day, said Eugene Pattenaud, 50 years old, a recovering alcoholic and drug addict who sleeps in a Norwalk shelter, and we will never be able to repay you. Tara Gooley, at 11 years old, she's the youngest of Gooley's three children, she left photocopied notes on each plate that read, we hope that you have a great day, and included pictures of teddy bears. Gooley's balance <clears throat> bought 100 and 18 dinners, and everything else was donated, including the buses that transported the guests. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Somebody who decided, you know what? The the guests, well, the groom didn't show up, and I'm supposed to have a wedding, 
supposed to be a celebration. I could, I guess I could feel sorry for myself and eat the money, or I can go ahead and think about other people. And that's what Kathleen Gooley did. Let me tell you from experience, it's awesome when you do something for somebody and you know that they can never repay you. It really is a blessing because it grounds you. It keeps you connected to people. It, it prevents you from becoming too haughty, too conceited, thinking too highly of yourself. It develops a humble spirit. Now, right after this lesson that Jesus t- teaches about humility, somebody now chimes in, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, Oh, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, this is quite a presumption. It's like this guy is assuming a lot. He's assuming that he actually is going to be one of those who has a place at the table to eat bread in the kingdom of God. I wonder what Jesus was thinking when he heard this guy say this. Because he then answers with a parable. Look at verses 16 and 17. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Okay. At this time in history, by the way, a banquet would have had taken days to prepare. Invitations would have been sent out prior to the occasion. And barring an emergency or a conflict of interest, those who had been invited would have been expected to attend. Now, they would not have known the exact time, but they would have known the day, and it would have been expected for them to be dressed and ready to go the first thing in the morning so that whenever the message came that it's time, they could leave immediately and head to the banquet. But, by the way, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, not everybody is going to be ready And what's more, there's a twist that may come as a surprise. We we continue on, verse 18. But they all, all of them alike, began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. The twist here is that they've all been invited, but ultimately nobody really wanted to come. It doesn't seem like this banquet is much of a priority for these people. We read a few excuses here, and at first glance, they don't seem horrible because one guy's got this investment of a field that he had to check out. One guy needed to kind of break in his oxen, work issues. One guy just got married. You'd think, well, those are... Those are okay excuses. But really, if Jesus is using these very specifically, if you look closely at the excuses, you'll actually begin to see how lame they really are. First of all, the guy who bought a field, and now you're checking it out? Boy, that wasn't real wise. You know, you, you made this investment, and you didn't even check it out. Well, then you're, you're not even thinking straight. Um, number two, wait, 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 you have to go try the oxen out that you just bought. You bought five yoke of oxen and now you have to go try them out. You got to, you, you bought it and now you're test driving it. Uh, don't you think that that could wait? Going to see the field, that could wait. 
Oh, you've got a wife now? Okay. Well, then bring her. I mean, isn't that kind of lame? Sorry, uh, I've got a wife now. I, I, I can't come. <laughs> wow. No, just bring her. Let, let her come to the party too. Isn't, wouldn't that be great? Jesus' audience, as they're listening to this, they would have known how much of an insult every one of those excuses would have been to the man who was throwing a banquet. The man who was throwing the banquet had put so much money and effort and work into a nice gathering, and now he's going to be embarrassed when nobody shows. So what is this man going to do? Well, Jesus continues, and it's going to sound very much like Kathleen Gooley uh, of Connecticut, uh, as we read about in the Deseret News. Look at verses 21 through 24. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Then go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet." Now, I wonder if those who are listening to this uh, parable there at the Pharisee's house got it. I wonder if they understood. Jesus had said that he had come to the lost sheep of Israel. In Mark 7, he indicated that he had come to feed the children of Israel. It was God's own people, the Jews, that were the ones who had been invited to this feast The Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders of the Jews had been the ones who had been invited to the feast. This man says, hey, blessed are those who are going to be at the feast there in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying, are you sure you're going to be there? Are you sure you're going to be there? Because I came to bring you a feast. But as John 1.11 puts it, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. It was like they rejected him, like these people rejected the invitation to come to the banquet with an excuse after excuse after excuse. I I want to turn back just one page to the end of Luke chapter 13, if if I may. Um, So just turn, turn back to the very end of Luke 13. I want to read verses 34 and 35. This is Jesus as he's cresting the hill, looking over at the city of Jerusalem, the capital city for the people of God, the children of Israel, the Jews. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings And you were not willing. So behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. My Bible puts a subtitle there in this section, by the way. Jesus' sorrow for Jerusalem. God's people. Do you see Jesus' heart for the children of Israel? He had come to give them the feast, to give them the places of honor. He wanted to gather them in his arms, bringing them protection and and provision and comfort. They were the first guests. 
to be invited to this feast, and they were not willing. And so he turns to us. Those in the streets and the hedges, the alleys and the streets of the town, those who are poor and crippled and blind and lame, those who had not been invited at first to the feast. See, he expanded beyond the city. He went into the country looking for those hidden behind hedges. He was looking for those who had been rejected. It will be the Gentiles, not the Jews, who would feast. Now, church, first of all, you need to understand that that right there is grace. Something offered to someone that was not deserved. And yet, just because it's been offered doesn't mean that there's going to be an automatic acceptance. Whatever has been offered to us in grace must be accepted through faith. Now, to be sure, in Paul's letter to the Romans, we are told that one day God's people, the children of Israel, will indeed return. And as Paul put it, all Israel will be saved. But until that day, we read of a hardening of Israel's heart for the sake of the Gentiles. Romans 11 from uh, the second part of 11 uh, through 12 and verse 15 says this, because of Israel's transgression, salvation has now come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if Israel's transgression means riches for the Gentile world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? Their fullness being Israel's fullness. See, if Israel's rejection is the reconciliation of the world, well, then what will Israel's acceptance be but life from the dead? What Paul is saying here is that we Gentiles need to, first of all, understand how amazing God's grace is. His amazing grace brought us into a feast that was not prepared for us at first. The banquet had been set up for the chosen ones. And yet they rejected Jesus. They did not accept him as their Messiah. And because of their rejection, we now have a privilege, a privilege of feasting by his grace on the spiritual food of God. And now we have the same opportunity to hear about the feast and accept the invitation or to give our own excuses as to why we don't feel like it's a priority. The the, the people there at the dinner party with Jesus missed it. In their pride, they didn't see the true honor that they had to even be invited to the dinner, to even be there. They didn't recognize that they had the bridegroom in their midst, and they missed out on the opportunity to be truly grateful and to celebrate what had been given them through grace. To accept grace, you must be humble. Otherwise, you won't even think you need it, and that was Israel's problem. One day, though, we are told that Once the fullness of the Gentiles come into the feast, into the kingdom, that God will then bring Israel back. And they will share in this great feast with us. And both Gentile and Jew will then have a a sense of gratitude. Do you have a sense of gratitude for the grace that has been extended to you? A, A party that you've been invited to that you weren't invited to at first? But because of the gracious invitation of the master, you now are sitting there at the table. 
Without a sense of gratitude for that grace, it's very difficult to be the type of person that will extend grace to other people. What kind of feast do we enjoy here at, uh, at Powell Butte Christian Church? I wonder how many of us clamor for the best seats to make sure that we have as much honor and power that we can grab a hold of. How many of us make sure that we get the credit and the accolades for the jobs well done around here? Or are we only showing love to those who can easily repay us? Or can we extend grace to those who are poor and broken and crippled and cannot repay? See, Jesus challenges us us as his disciples to be the ones who will look for those who are poor and crippled and lame. He calls us to go into the roads and the country lanes and to bring in the people so that his house will be full. Every week at our church, at Powell Butte Christian Church, we have a feast. There's not a lot to it, but the meaning is huge. There's a piece of bread and a cup of juice. That feast is a symbol of God's amazing grace. The invitation that he gives to us to humble ourselves and to come and sit at his banquet, to feast at his banqueting table. And in doing so, in humility, we stand with one another, none of us better, none of us higher than any other. We come before him as his people, grateful for the opportunity to share in the grace Those emblems, the the piece of bread that would represent Jesus' body, the provision from heaven, and the juice that would represent his blood spilled for the payment of the penalty of our sin. If you're ever with us on a weekend, I would love for you to join us in that table, that meal, that banquet, for it is a shadow of the banquet to come. And I would pray that uh, your attitude and our attitude would be the same as that what Jesus is looking for. The attitude of saying, we want to extend grace to other people. Be willing to bring others along as well. We're called to a dinner party with Jesus. We're going to be celebrating that dinner party on Sunday. Wherever you worship, I would pray that you would be able to also have a, an opportunity to share in a dinner party with Jesus. And in doing so, remember the grace extended. All right, well, that's uh, what we are going to be talking about this Sunday. If you're ever in our area, you are absolutely invited to to join us. And come and tell me that you listen. And uh, that would be a a great uh, encouragement to us. Also, if you uh, have any questions or comments or concerns, you can always email me, Trey, T-R-E-Y dot P-B-C-C. That's Trey dot P-B-C-C. CC like Powell Butte Christian Church, sorry, at uh, gmail.com. That would be awesome. Anyway, hope you have a blessed week and uh, hope to catch you next week as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. Thank you, Lisa Welly and, and uh, Steve Pittman and all of those who helped get this uh, podcast up and running. And, um, and thank you for paying attention and, and tuning in. We'll catch you next week.